Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hello, coffee friends. Welcome to coffees.me podcast. I'm your host, Valerian Rala. Thank you for spending your valuable time with us. What's up with you guys? Did you start any cool coffee business since we started this podcast? If so, let us know how do you do and how did this podcast help you? I love good business stories, so feel free to indulge me. And I will indulge you. So here, in a green plantation, my European business, we received our new packaging. If you remember the previous episodes, I kind of freaked out because we ordered them from Alibaba and I wasn't sure if we get a good quality. And hey, I'm so happy. I'm so happy what we got. If you want to see them, go to our Facebook group, coffeeis.me and we can even chat about it. So if you are curious, how did we order that? How did we design it? Uh, who was uh, our producer? I'm happy to reveal that information there. My American business, coffeecourses.com, which I'm doing together with Boot Coffee, is also going very strong. Uh, our free course, Rose Profiling, has almost 500 students in it, which is a pretty awesome thing because we did not spend too much money on promotion. And finally, my secret 2016 coffee business in the United States has its name. We are Unleashed Coffee, and if you want to hear more about it, I will reveal some information at the end of the show. You will also learn about my partner at the end of the show. Running three businesses plus this podcast is starting to be a bit too much, so I need your help. Our guests share a lot of amazing information, and I think it would be great to put them also in a written form. I need your help to create more extensive notes for previous and upcoming episodes. I think this will help for people who do not have time or ability to listen to the podcast, or they simply prefer to read. Are you interested to help me? Are you interested to become part of this podcast? Let me know on my email address, valerian at coffeeis.me, or find me on Facebook. Okay, in the next three episodes, we're going to open a cafe again, but this time I invited Deborah Frodiger from Equator Coffee. For whatever reason, throughout the interview, I call Equator Coffees and Teas Equators. I just noticed that, I don't know why I'm doing that, so I have to apologize to Equator and you guys. The mind of a human is sometimes strange. In the first episode, you will meet Deborah, get her sense of the coffee industry, espresso, and life generally. She will share amazing tips how to land with a dream coffee job. We're going to talk about the main criteria for selecting a location for a cafe. What kind of business should you have in your neighborhood? Or is it a good idea to have a big coffee chain as your neighbor? We're also going to talk about how to hire a barista. Is it the personality or is it the skills you need? When it comes to your business, is arrogance or disrupting the market a good idea? And if so, where? Yes, we are going to talk also about your favorite topic. What kind of espresso makers, grinders and technology can you use in your cafe? Deborah will reveal her important features when she is selecting these beasts. We never really talked about the menu in the cafe in this podcast. So ask Deborah to reveal her secrets. How do they do their menus? Are sweet drinks a good idea? How about drink sizes? What about non-coffee items? How do they improve your check average? 
devil is behind the barista course on coffeecourses.com so i decided to reward you if you listen to this podcast until the end after the interview i will reveal a coupon code 50 percent off from the barista course on coffeecourses.com are you excited me too so let's listen to devorah after the inti pinti tiny ad this podcast was supported by coffeecourses.com the online learning hub for coffee professionals Our videos will train you on how to roast, evaluate, and brew coffee. We'll take you to the origin, show you basic professional espresso techniques, and even how to start your online coffee store. From basic theory to advanced concepts, coffeecourses.com is a goldmine for every coffee professional. Check out our blog and free courses too. We can't wait to see you on coffeecourses.com. Don't let us wait too long. Welcome, Deborah. Welcome in uh, coffees.me podcast thank you for uh accepting my invite on sunday morning thanks so much to being here oh thank you it's my pleasure i'm so happy to spend sunday sipping coffee with you cheers cheers i'm having also coffee <laughs> with <laughs> ice and no i'm i decided to go a little bit uh, unconventional with uh old-fashioned perfect i'm exploring 10, the world 11 of, o'clock 11 in the morning 11 in the morning yeah exploring the world of uh cocktails so you know, it'll be different, it. right? Get started, yeah. The other different thing about this podcast is that we are doing this kind of live, so we see each other first time <laughs> in my podcast. So I'm a bit nervous. It's great. Then you can see my cats jumping up on me while I'm drinking coffee. Yeah, my, my cat is already famous for uh, being in a podcast. Maybe some people notice it time to time. <laughs> we, we had dogs in a podcast barking. That was called pretty awesome, so... We should really just talk about cats and showcase our cats. I think that's how you get famous on the internet. I think that'll help. That's why the internet was invented, right? To mm-hmm. uh, showcase cats. Or cats. Cats and coffee. Perfect. <laughs> Coming soon. Next episode. Cats and coffee. Well, let's start with coffee and then we can move on to cats. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so first of all, congrats on your Good Food Awards. I Thanks. saw what happened. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. Uh, you guys killing it in the Bay Area. So the competitors must have a very hard time, huh? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that, but uh, we think we're doing we think we're doing pretty well. I mean, the great thing about the Bay Area is there's room for a lot of coffee. Seems like, at least right now, uh, the market is ever expanding. So it's nice, nice being a part of a good community. Yeah, all coffee nerds here feel like uh, fish in water, I guess. Yeah. Um, but the Good Food Award was great because it was for our farm, Finca Sophia. So first, first harvest, baby, tiny, teeny, tiny harvest from Finca Sophia. And it's good. It's really, really good. I did not have a chance to taste it yet. So hint, hint. I've only had one cup. Okay, buddy. I have tried it like <laughs> once that day. Um, no, we are going to be serving it at our cafes on February 1st. So come down. Cool. Will do. Because we're really just doing like one roast, so. Yeah, that's that's a uh, good part to being close to you guys, so I can test your stuff. Yes, please come. Buy it up. Okay, so I know you personally, but many people don't. So the, my first question is about you and coffee. How did you find coffee, or maybe coffee found you? So how did how did this happen? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the Northwest, so definitely. Starting in high school, it'd be like, okay, like, let's skip class and go to the, like, walk-up coffee box and get a, you know, iced breve vanilla latte or something. It was super cool at 15, right? Um, 
so I've always enjoyed coffee and um, but I studied theater and went to like college for theater and dropped out and wanted to move away and thought I'd get a job at a coffee shop because it would be just like fun and I could do it for the summer. So thought I wanted a job that I wouldn't care about too much. Barista. Hey, it's cool. It's cool to work in a cafe. Um, and that was like 12 years ago and I've just never stopped. I love it. I love working behind the counter. I've been able to roast and do training and I don't know. How did coffee find me? I guess just um, I love coffee. It still gets me out of bed in the morning. And really, it's the people that have kept me going. I've just been lucky enough to be surrounded by super inspirational people who keep giving me chances to grow and do new things. Like, that's that's the best thing. Was there any coffee which was the tipping point when you said that, okay, now I'm in love and I have to, I have to uh, be in the coffee industry? I don't think so, no. I always did it for the, I think I enjoyed the ambiance. And I think, like... Uh, I've definitely had meaningful cups of coffee and I definitely have cups of coffee that I remember like epically in my life, like first cupping, right? Of course. And when I realized coffee could taste different just based on where it was grown, right? That was mind blowing. Um, I think for me, it was more that moving down from the Northwest over 10 years ago to San Francisco, I had a different expectation of coffee than what was currently being done in the Bay Area. Like the Bay Area is an amazing coffee scene, but you know, a little over 10 years ago, it was very Italian focused, old school, you know, long shots, big fluffy caps, that type of thing. Um, so for me, it was more realizing like, oh, the type of coffee that I grew up with and expected is kind of special. So for me, it was the bad coffee that did it. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I, I can, I know that this can be better. I don't know how, so let me learn how. Like, I didn't know what the difference was. I just knew that it wasn't as good down here. Okay, my story is because I want to share it because you are involved, not personal, but the creators. Yeah. And uh, well, you know, I have to give you a plug, guys. I mean, when once you spend your time here with me, but interesting thing about stuff is that I started with coffee in two thousand one when I came back from uh, working for UN. And I didn't know what to do. I knew that I don't want to do that job anymore. And I started to work with coffee because I liked coffee. But I was doing this kind of like uh, Starbucks dark roast. And, you know, it was still interesting to get coffee from Sumatra, Brazil. You know, that was new in Europe at that time. But then I got bored of it because there was nothing going. There's no change. It was kind of like always the same stuff. Then once I went, uh, my dad came to visit to California. I already was living here. And I went for your cupping. You were you used to do public cupping in your in your roastery. At the roastery, yeah. Yeah, and there was David Paul at that time. Yeah. And uh, he had some coffees there, and we were cupping. And he asked, you know, what what's your opinion? And I, you know, I, I was very confident because I'm the coffee professional from Europe, right? I know everything. Uh -huh. So I pointed out at one coffee, and I said, you know, this was pretty bad. It's probably defective. And David was like, well, this is our most expensive coffee. And it was Ethiopian Akise. <laughs> so, what, so what made you think it was defective? Because it was totally different. Yeah. It was it has very fruity and it was like totally not the typical dark roast, always the same stuff. Yeah. And I was like, and I, you know, I was <clears> like, uh, okay, let me but I'm also a curious guy, so let me look into this. And I started to experiment with these lighter roasts and I started to experiment with these different coffees. And that so you know what? There's there's a totally 
fascinating world of coffee out there. I just did not know about. So that's how I started. So thanks to you guys, I restructured the green plantation. We started to do the third wave or whatever you call it, right, in Slovakia. And uh, since then I'm in. So thanks. That's amazing. That's so great. <laughs> I know those cuppings. Cuppings can be so powerful. I think you already have to be kind of interested and buy into it a little bit. But yeah, I remember like my first cupping, it was like, okay, very basic, basic origins, right? Because 10 years ago, right, we didn't get farm name, we got region, right? Yeah. And we did it once. And then it was like, okay, we're going to do it again and do it blind. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to tell these coffees apart. And it's like, oh, that's the Ethiopia, that's the Sumatra, that's the Brazil. I mean, that's how basic it was, right? That's the Guatemala. Mm. And it was just like, it was amazing. Yeah, sometimes you had SHB and HBN. <laughs> right. I know, right? It's like <laughs> Cool. So how did you end up in the creators? Mm. Um, well, yeah, that's that is good. How did I end up at Equator? So I worked in coffee in the Bay Area and then I kind of um ran away, wanted to like move from the Bay Area and went to upstate New York. Worked for Gimme and Gimme, gimme. And um, yeah, so I was living in upstate New York and training, but wanted to come back to California. And I had always known about Equator, um, had come up and done a cupping at Equator when I worked at Ritual and, you know, met the team. And, you know, definitely um, my Bay Area experience was at Ritual and working for a women-owned company. Of course, we knew Equator because they're just pioneers as far as women-owned coffee roasters. Um, I really like working for and being around strong women. Um, so I knew of Equator and I just, I met their uh, VP of sales at the time was Maria Cleveland. Just met her at a competition. I was volunteering and just started talking with her. They were looking for a trainer to add to their department. And um, yeah, I fought for this job very hard because I was across the country I wanted to move back. I had to prove to them, like, I wanted to move back to the Bay Area. I wanted to work for them. They are my first choice. I wasn't looking at other companies. I mean, if you have met Maria, I mean, she's so dynamic. I mean, I shook her hand and I was like, this, this is what I want. I want to be you. I want to work for you. Um, and it just kept getting better. I mean, I met Maureen, our VP, and then I went and had coffee with Helen and Brooke in New York City. And that just, like sealed it. I mean, it was like a five months of me just like emailing, calling, like, no, I'll meet you at SCAA. I'll meet you in New York. Just pay attention to me. Hire me. Please choose me. I want to come out there. Wow. That's, these are great tips how to get a job. You know, I applied to equators too, like, but I just sent one email. I'm shy. I was like, okay. And they, they were very nice about it, by the way. Mm -hmm. That was a long time ago. It was when I moved here. So Yeah. And uh, okay. So this is a great tip how to get a job if you want. I think so. I mean, if there's a company you want to work for, it's worth fighting for. I mean, I was training and they needed a barista trainer, but for me, it's always been more about the company. I mean, and I am interested in so many different things in coffee. I mean, I would have been interested in joining the roasting department. There wasn't a retail department at the time, and now I'm over on that side of things and I love it. Um, but for me, it's more about company culture and the ethics of a company and who the leadership is. That's always been the most important thing. So I was very clear, like, I'll take any, I'll take any job. Like, and I had a skill that they needed. So thank goodness for that. 
But I think it can be hard to get a job, especially if you're not in the area showing your face. Like I always tell baristas, like if you want to work at a cafe, go to that cafe, go get coffee, get to know the baristas, get to know the manager, Mm -hmm. build a little bit of a dialogue and then drop off your resume. Right. Even if you're just like chatting with the manager, like, oh, I really like this coffee you have right now, blah, blah, blah. Just get their attention somehow. So th- this is also a tip for uh, people who want to work for Equator. So they should yes. stop by in Mill Valley or uh, San by. Francisco. <laughs> mm-hmm. Come by, have a coffee, talk to us, drop off your resume for sure. Cool. Sounds great. Uh, talking of strong women, mm-hmm. I realized you are my first woman on this show. What the heck is wrong with you? It's not me. <laughs> there, were in- there were invitations, but they were a few mm. so far or not confirmed, I would say. Interesting. So uh, maybe it's maybe it is me. Maybe something is wrong with me because the, you know the women say I'm not going to talk to that guy. No way. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, it's great. I think um, yeah, more visibility for women in every industry is needed. Still, I, I'll work on it. I promise. I agree with you. So I work on it. I Good. promise. Good. Cool. I we filmed together the course we have on coffeecourses.com and also on. Uh, bootcamp barista, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I fall in love with your definition of espresso. Do you remember it? Is it my definition or did I just give you the SCA definition? No, 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 no. It's there's you start with one sentence. Do you remember that? No. What the, did I say? Something like the espresso is a very strange, weird. Oh, sorry, yeah, a very... it's a very weird way to make coffee. Yeah, that is true. I do still say that in trainings. Yeah, espresso is a very weird way to make coffee. Yeah, I, I feel the same. But uh, it is. I just fall in love with it because so many people don't say it loud, you know. And we had Guillermo, you know, like a few shows uh, ago, and he said the same, like, espresso is is kind of strange you know it's it's rules yeah. right because we have the big compet- competitions people p- prefer to drink espresso based drinks but on the hand it is a weird drink it's so weird yeah unfiltered you got the pressure people either love or hate crema like yeah it is a weird way to make coffee it's really tricky and i think in those videos too we talk about um how it just like heightens flavor sometimes to grotesque proportions I feel like it's worth talking about that with um especially with new baristas too. Like, yeah, your espresso might be really sour, really bitter, like it's gonna just expand these flavors in the coffee. Yeah, and if you sometimes in a way you don't like. If you select uh wrong coffee for that. And you know, it's like like I have coffees which I love on filter, but if I put them mm-hmm. in espresso, they disappoint me. So for a long time I, I forgot about espresso. I did not do any espresso. I'm still not right. doing, but it's I also should... a good Good way to get to know your coffee, though. Okay. I'm listening. Well, it's like, okay, um, like if you're thinking of moving in with someone, if you fall in love and you're thinking of moving in with someone, you should probably take a stressful vacation first. Oh. Right? Like go somewhere that's going to push you both. Maybe it's meeting family or you like don't have reservations or something because seeing people kind of stressed out is really good, right? You want to see how people right. react under stress. So maybe espresso is like stressing out your coffee, right? Like if I'm really getting to know a coffee for a competition or just to get to know it, like I'll pull it as espresso and pull it in really weird parameters. I want a really, really tight shot, a really long shot and see all of the flavors that are kind of possible in there, even if I'm going to do it as filter because you see that coffee stressed, right? It's either like 
screaming at the hotel manager or it's like calmly able to like fix things right you get to know the heart of it cool that that sounds great that's how i met my wife by the way in a post-war area so that's why i think that our relation is so strong you know yeah you're never you know exactly how you react under pressure Pressure, and that stress right like nothing the kids do is going to freak you out you know how to handle it you know how to be a team uh okay let's move on (laughs) (laughs) because of your experience with training and uh opening all those cafes with equators and working with your um wholesale accounts i want to talk Mm -hmm. to you about how to open a cafe yeah because most of the listeners here are thinking to open a cafe one day so they you know want to know how to do that so the first thing and maybe you can correct me if it's not correct, is probably the location, right? There's this saying that location, location, location. So what are the main criteria for selecting a location uh, for a cafe? What are your secret equator tricks? Yeah, secret tricks. No, we've just, we've been talking about this a lot lately because we are at the point where now we have three cafes. By the end of the year, we'll have five um, and opportunities are really coming to us. So it's, we've had to really take a look at this. Like, what do we look for? in a cafe for equator and then like of course i'm i feel so personal about it what am i personally looking for um i think location is really important i mean there's some basic things right like yeah you need a high traffic count um sure because coffee is such a mm, you need a high ticket count for coffee because it's such a comparatively low ticket average for most like it's not a restaurant right it's also not something that people will typically go too far out of their way for right i mean sure you'll get your favorite cafe and maybe you'll pull over on the way to work rather than going to the place right next door to you if it's really that much better but you have to kind of already be in that routine does that make sense it's hard to build that routine people get very very into where they go for their morning coffee it's hard to change that and um i don't know if any of this makes any sense it does. But it yeah. totally makes sense. I, I get it. I mean, it's you. I, I, you know, there's only very few people who will search for. Who, okay, so who will go to cafes based on the brand? You know, I do that because I want to try different things. But many people, as you said, they go to work, you know, and they have their ways, so they want to go to the same place, right? Right, and and even like, I mean, I'm somebody who will, of course, search out new coffee, new brands, as you do, right? Or check out new cafes, but in the morning, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to the place by my house, right? And coffee shops, I mean, our bread and butter is those morning regulars, mm-hmm. right? I mean, really, that's what you need. You can't you can't build a cafe trusting that the coffee geeks and coffee tourists are going to find you, right? Exactly. I mean, that's great. And they'll come and they'll have like one espresso and talk to your barista for half an hour at 2 p.m., right? We need like, we need those people coming in on the way to work. Um, so... High traffic or densely populated area, I think, is very important. And I think you can't overlook that. Um, Specifically, like when we're looking for Equator, we are always looking at the community and really like, is this a community that we think we can fit into that will want to be a part of that will really welcome us? And that's that's really important because cafes do become that hub of a community. And people feel so connected to their cafes. So you really need to need to make sure there's there's room, right? That there is kind of either a vibrancy or a potential for a vibrancy in the community. 
I mean, we see cafes really activate communities, right? You can be on kind of a kind of a sleepy street, but if there's a lot of people living there, then if you open and you're warm and inviting and accepting, then people will want to make that their place. Um, so then we always kind of look for as well, like an interesting uh, building or partnership, right? Like that's that's really important. We're really not looking to open cafes that are cookie cutter models of each other. Like mm-hmm. we're gonna have the same coffee, we're gonna have the same, um, you know, the same standards and pretty much the same menu, but we really like unique feelings in our cafes. And I think that's part of fitting into the community, right? I mean, everything we do, we want to be, we want to be iconic and different, right? If you've been to our cafes, right, we have the surf shop that's mm-hmm. really funky and it's part of this, like, I don't know, I call it the anti-strip mall. It's like such a great enclave of small businesses that are all very complimentary. Um, and then downtown Mill Valley is very polished. It's this iconic corner. It's this old building. It's been a cafe for 20 years plus, right? This is the heart of this small downtown area. And so we really wanted to play, you know, pay homage to like the fact that this has been a cafe and people who have grown up in Mill Valley have been going there for coffee their whole lives. Um, Your neighbor is Pete though, right? Oh yeah, but that's great. We'll get to that next. Um, and then Warfield, right? I mean, we're in the Warfield building. That's, that's such an iconic building and it's urban, it's downtown. It's definitely, um, yeah, has a much kind of grittier feel and it's in this, building you know that's that's weathered san francisco for a century you know i mean we when we were building out our uh clean room in the basement for storage we could either like um you know plaster over the walls or uh put up plastic right to make it like sterile to store our stuff down there and we just put this um vinyl over the walls because there's this remnants of this wallpaper because it used to be a speakeasy down there during prohibition like the theater was dry but you could sneak in you know through the back and this is where you know you bootleggers would hang out and you could come like get drunk during prohibition in san francisco and there's this little bit of wallpaper left and we're like no we have to keep that um because of the history in that building so we look for that um, okay, and our neighbor's Pete's in Mill Valley. You're getting to that because I think it's important to have complementary businesses and competing businesses near your cafe. I think it's important. So, like, complementary businesses are like, I don't know, you want to be near somebody that people do visit on a regular basis, right? Like, pet stores are great for us. And like, pet stores, like, pet uh, store, like, cool. where people come, right? Well, there's, there just happens to be like pet stores close to our cafes and like, that's great because people don't come there every day, but they'll come there once a week and pick up beans and cat food or whatever. Um, or like uh, clothing stores or boutiques or lunch spots, right? Like something that's complimentary that people are fans of already. Like you kind of turn each other's customers into fans of each other. Cool. Um, and then I think competing businesses is, is important too. I love opening right by a Pete's or a Starbucks. We're across the street from a Starbucks at proof lab right and if you look at traffic patterns they are on the right side of the street they are on the side of the street you turn right into their parking lot if you're going to the city for work 
and you have to take a left turn across traffic to get to our cafe. And it's like, ah, we're the wrong side. You shouldn't open over here. Right. And we're like, it's fine. We have something that's worth crossing the street for. Oh, nicely put. Yep. No, I remember when um, people are complaining about the fact that Starbucks is destroying moms and pops uh, Mm. uh, businesses. It was like, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I was like, actually, if Starbucks opens close to me, I can prove that I'm better than them. And I kind of like, also, there'll be people who will not like them. And I can attract those people with my unique, you know, proposition, right? I think it can go either way. I think it definitely can hurt businesses um, and definitely did put some businesses out of, um, you know, definitely hurt some businesses, put them out of business. So I think you do have to have, like you say, a very different value proposition. Exactly. And and for us, it works opening close to a pizza or a Starbucks because, like, while they have uh, pretty good coffee and pretty good service, right, um, it's entry level. It's entry level specialty coffee. And I don't want to discount what they have done to kind of build this market that now we're taking advantage of. But it really is entry level. And a lot of people stop there, right? And that's fine. And they'll be very happy drinking that coffee every day. But I think there's a good portion of that business that does kind of educate themselves out of enjoying Pete's and Starbucks style experience. And then they'll be like, oh, well, let me cross the street um, and see what this other place has. And if you can do it better in a way that's accessible, then you'll win a customer. Right. But those, those are key. You have to be better and you have to be accessible because mm-hmm. if you, you only get one shot with that person and if you turn them off, um, they're not coming back. They'll go back to Starbucks. They'll be happy there. It's fine. Okay. That's a, a very important one. One shot with a person. Yeah, you do one shot. And we're going to talk about accessibility a lot. I hope today because i think that's key and i think that's a problem with coffee at least accessibility of the coffee or accessibility of the uh your cafe all of it okay all of it i think that the cafe has to feel inviting right like what's really great about you know my situation at equator is i work directly for helen one of the founders and she's 20 years older than me And she has been doing coffee 20 years longer than me, right? So she's seen it come and go. She's seen trends come and go. And also she has just a very different aesthetic and she's at a different point in her life than I am. Um, So if we are both comfortable somewhere and there's something, you know, we both feel like there's a place we want to sit, somewhere we want to be, we're both enjoying the music and ambiance of a cafe, then I really feel like it works. Right. Because we are different sides of of the market. Um, And then I think coffee has to be accessible, too. I mean, we have a pretty darn big menu. Right. We've got hot coffee ready to go. And if you say you want a large coffee or you want a large dark roast. Right. We're not going to bug you with too many questions. We're just going to give you our equator blend. And there you go. You're happy every day. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But we also have rotating coffees that we brew by the cup. So if you want to come in and like you say, have a, have a dry processed Colombian coffee. Cause you want to give it a try. Like, yeah, we've got that this month. Come in, brew it. The barista will talk to you about it. We'll take time and, and you can try it. And it's kind of weird tasting and great. Right. Um, but if you don't want to have that conversation, we're not going to, we're not going to force it on you. 
but this is a very fine line and i think you guys are doing a great job with that that you can offer the old and a new in one package but many times you know especially for startups is uh they try mm -hmm. to differentiate themselves and then sometimes go into kind of like a, a very like how do i say that it's like they're becoming either you know black or white you know what i mean so for example when we started we went like only light roast is good and you know this is what you should drink because we wanted to be loud and we wanted to attract right. those people who we knew that it's a it's just a small segment but we wanted that segment for us yes so that can be fine that can really work i mean that is a value proposition that can work in a lot of markets and i think that you need some disruption i mean when ritual opened we were disruptive and we wanted to be we pointedly only had small sizes didn't sweeten drinks only french pressed single origin right like mm -hmm. we that you we had to be disruptive in this market in order right. to get people to pay attention in order to differentiate i think that can really work um i think you have to be careful with that because you have to um you have to trust that the small segment of the market that you're going to reach is enough to sustain you, exactly. right? Like I wouldn't do that if I was opening in a small town or I was opening in the suburbs, right? That that wouldn't have worked. Our model, I don't think, would have worked 10 years ago, right? Because there's there's not enough of that segment of the population that cares to listen. Um, but we were opening in a dense part of San Francisco. There were two other cafes on the block. Right. Where you could get a vanilla latte if you wanted it. Mm -hmm. And so we had to be like, nope, don't do that here. This is just going to be the best coffee you've ever had. And that worked. Yeah. It worked and people listened. OK, so one of my idea was like offering, let's say, not only the most expensive, highest grade coffees, but go a little bit just slightly lower. It's maybe the, the lower grade specialty coffees, you know, not right. only the 85 plus, but let's say 83, 82 points. And I don't like to put points on a coffee, but just, you know, give you some kind of like a reference point. Totally. I think that's important. I think it's, you know, it is about being accessible. And I think speaking to the size and age of a company really matters. I mean, if it's, you know, just you and you just need to support yourself, Right. Do what you want. Be disruptive. Um, only serve things you want to drink. Right. I mean, great. If you can do if you can do that, that's great. But as like you say, as you do grow, you have more responsibility. Maybe you have more employees. Maybe you want to open a second location. I mean, you have to see what what's going to work for your market. And I mean, I don't I don't know the green plantation market. I mean, I just I know the Bay Area really well. I know you should I know come and visit a little bit. I really want to come. Let me come train. I want to go. You know, I've dreamt about going to your house in Slovakia. I've hung out with you there. Yeah, I you should. You should I know, but you know, we have a house. It's uh, free, so guys, anytime, welcome, and you can play in our Perfect. roastery and stuff. So we don't have nice. cafes though yet. Right, I'll come play in the roastery. It'll be yeah. great. But the house is free. It's, you, you know, it's it's kind Perfect. of sad that it's there alone. You know, is this an for... open invite to everybody listening? Hey, y'all, we're all going to Valerian's house. <laughs> to to the uh, some people. <laughs> Perfect. Call Valerian. His number is. <laughs> they, you know what? Everybody knows how to reach me, and they I do know, reach true. out a lot that's of times. So great. Yeah. So no worries. Next time I'm in that part of the world, I'm staying there. You should because I have thirty fruit trees there. Ah. Oh. Planted with these two hands. Ah, oh, thirty. Thirty. Yeah. Okay. I don't have any fruit trees here. Anyhow. Can I come make jam? Yes, I I know your jam. It's pretty good. <laughs> I want to come make jam. 
All right. So have you ever made a mistake? Let's say that you guys opened a location and you went like, oops, this did not work out as we expected. And if so, how did you fix it? Mm. Um, well, Equator only has three locations, right? Airport? Um, well, that's a license. That's a license. So okay. we don't manage that one. Okay. Yeah. We don't manage that one. We um, That little kiosk is still managed by the, the parent company, Taste on the Fly. Um, but we do a lot of we do a lot of training there because our name is all over it, right? Um, we're very directive with our license stores. Um, yeah, so have we made a mistake? I don't think so. I think we've definitely had to um, change things and grow based on customer feedback. I mean, I think it is um, it's easy to open with a vision. Right. And if you and you should have a strong vision when you open. Right. You should know what's really driving your business and the type of experience you want to have. Um, so it's easy when you have a vision to kind of discount customer feedback as being like, oh, you just don't get it. Right? Okay. You don't get it. You don't get it. And I think some things it's good to hold the line. Right. Like we're not. Say like, OK, so we have a pretty big menu. Right. We offer sweetened drinks. But all of our like syrups, right? We make. We have a chocolate, a vanilla, and a caramel. Cool. I right? did not know that. Yeah, we make them because we want to have control of the product. We really want to um, offer the the best version of a vanilla latte you can get, right? Okay. So it's organic vanilla bean and organic sugar, right? And that's what we have, and we think that's really accessible. That's all that's in there, right? Um, and so sometimes people will come in and they want something you don't do, like a sugar-free vanilla. Right. And that, OK, we're not going to do that because it doesn't fit with our company ethos. Right. We don't believe in artificial sweeteners. Right. We need to only make ingredients in house like that's something we're like, OK, we're going to say no. But there's a lot of things we're going to say yes to. Right. Customers want more seating. They want different hours. There's nothing for me to eat here and I'm gluten free or vegan or paleo or whatever. Right. There's a lot of things that we do need to listen to at our cafes. Oh, this cafe has a slightly different demographic than the one down the street. They want us to be open earlier. They'll come if we open earlier. Oh, they want a light beer, right? Oh, I really like, you know, sour, intense beers. Nobody's drinking it. How come? Oh, they want a light beer to come have after work. Okay, we can bring in a light beer, right? There's, there's things we do. So I don't think of it as like, making a mistake and having to change things i think it's evolving to your market no my question was like you know if you let's say open the wrong spot how could you fix it if there is some ways to fix it like i opened my first cafe and only cafe which i opened so far uh, in 2001 it was in the underground it's supposed to be a shopping mall and uh -huh. pe people were selling their real estate it was in slovakia and i bought the real estate which was a big mistake i think that was you know i sunk my money into it and nobody else opened, just me. Oh. And I was fighting it, and I was fighting it. And I was, you know, making lots of marketing, but it's underground. There's no other stores. Like, I had few customers, but that was, and I couldn't fix it. So that right. was just something, the only thing that you can fix it with is close it and open it somewhere else, you know, in my case. Yeah, and I mean, that speaks to, like, um, I mean, we have a community of brands that we work with that are local brands. And now we're kind of at the point, right? There's there's a juice company we work with and there's a chocolatier that we work with, right? And now we're kind of at the point where when we're looking at leases, 
like if we're going into say a new development or a spot with multi-units right like we don't want to open next to like a gap store right that doesn't make sense to us it's not really our our demographic or if we're opening next to a juice store we don't want to open next to a jamba juice right that's not our demographic we want to open next to this brand urban remedy that's a marin brand it's organic it's cold pressed juice we sell them in our stores if we're not next to them Mm -hmm. so I mean, like in the case of what happened to you, like we would have tried to go in with other businesses, right? And and sometimes that really matters to us when we're looking at developments. Like if somebody, if we're looking at a spot, we want to know who else is going in, who the neighbors are. And we have these brands that we want to, we want to bring with us because we know that we have a complementary demographic and their values really align with us. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And then sometimes, like, sometimes things, like, our city store is very different than our Mill Valley store, right? We don't do, it's, it's, a, it's a store where people are, are at work. They want to come take a break from work. So we sell much more of the, like, kind of really small specialty drinks, like it's Cortados and Shakerados, because people are just having a little, a little break at work, and, and we sell a lot of, like, cookies, but we don't sell a ton of lunch. We don't sell a ton of breakfast. Like it's very different than our commuter stores. Like we're busy in the early afternoon there because people are taking their coffee break. Uh, Cortados as called here Gibraltar. Is it the same? Gibraltar, pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. A lot of our listeners are always keep asking me about the espresso equipments and and equipments what cafe should have because right. because I'm not very experienced in cafes. I have no clue. I don't know what to tell them. I know about roasting a lot. I think, but not about uh, equipment. So I asked already uh, Mike from Clatch Coffee about these, you know, and he said that he's using Lamar Zocos and Nua Simonellis in his cafes. So how about you guys? I know you use use, uh, Lamar Zocos as espresso makers. Uh, Is this something because you are in love with them or why? Yeah. I mean, yes. Yes, we love them. Um, They are, I like them because they're very customizable and they're pretty easy to use. Um, so yeah, we, we do use La Marzocos. We really love them. Um, and we sell a lot of them. I mean, it's interesting that I've worked on both the wholesale and the, um, retail side of Equator. I mean, what I like about La Marzocos for retail is very different than what I like for wholesale. Like for, for retail, I like that, say the, the like Strata programming is really easy to get into. Like our baristas can easily, um, play with programming for like a pre-infusion and for temperature, like they can get in and do it and they're knowledgeable enough to do it. And it's kind of part of dialing in. Um, but then for wholesale, we sell auto volumetric machines. Like that's what we sell. We realize that <clears throat> a lot of the accounts we're going to be working with, not everybody's going to be as comfortable, um, dialing into such a minute level. So if we can have somebody who knows how to program the buttons and dial in and then, you know, whoever is kind of doing the um, bulk of the espresso extraction maybe isn't as changed, but their shot is going to cut off at an ounce and a half or wherever it's programmed to, that's very, very helpful because they don't have to, we don't run that risk of serving terrible espresso as, as much. Um, so yeah, we, we use those in our stores and then we also, yeah, we've rolled out that, the Nueva Simonelli grinders. I, I am in love 
with the Mythos, with the Climapro grinder, the Mythos Climapro. Mm -hmm. I think it has fixed a lot of the problems that we've had as baristas um, with burrs overheating, with them being hard to, grinders being harder to program, like a kind of understanding how timing relates to particle size and weight, right? Like it can be, it can be kind of hard to program the Mazars. Um, but I used Mazars for years and a lot of our wholesale accounts use them and they are great grinders. Um, and as far as espresso machines, I mean, I've had really great experiences with Nueva Simonelli espresso machines, with unique espresso machines. Um, unique, I said? Yeah, unique. Ah. I've had a good time playing on them. Cool. Absolutely. Um, and I don't know. I don't think the machine has to matter as as much as we think it does. I mean, yes, you need consistent temperature and pressure, but you should be able to go up to any espresso machine and any grinder and make good coffee okay. out of it. I mean, I really believe that. I mean, you... And I don't think you should bankrupt yourself getting a machine that's more power than you need for your cafe. Um, I think it's really important to stay within budget and have operating budgets for your cafes and when you're opening them. And I think it's really important to not not get obsessed or tied up with the technology. Okay. You You can get good coffee out of most commercial espresso machines. I'm really happy to hear that because I just researched some price because, you know, one of the, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but one of the uh, things which I did, did last year, I did this uh, competition if people leave us reviews uh, for the, uh, on the iTunes for this podcast uh, and I hit a point 50 reviews, I'll reward myself with the espresso maker. And Perfect. I started to look into that and my jaw dropped. <laughs> so it's it's not a cheap toy. I can understand because basically they are your bread maker, right? So they are. So get, you know, you have to take care of them though. Yeah. Any machine you get, I mean, keep it clean, replace the part. No one needs to be replaced often, right? Every machine is going to have its different point that's going to need to be replaced more often. But generally, like your gaskets and your steam valve, just freaking replace it often and they'll last forever. Is there any uh, fault you see on some espresso makers you they should kind of avoid? I think every machine has its has things that I like better than others. Okay. Um, and for me personally, doing so much training, um, for me, it's all about ergonomics. Um, and that goes even within brands you know like even within like different models from the same brand some of them will have a steam wand angle that i like more or steam wand um, articulation i like more than others um sometimes the angle at which the portafilter locks in is better but again i'm always thinking about like wrist and ease of use and um yeah i mean you're just heating water and milk i mean we don't have i don't know i don't feel i feel like we get too obsessed with minute details for making things like such a tiny incrementally better where it's like 
no, we just need to be extracting properly. And no, we just need to be like incorporating air into our milk properly. You should be able to do that on any commercial machine. And some will be more comfortable than others. Um, but as long as it's comfortable for baristas to use and easy to clean, I'm happy. I remember uh, when you did the training, you had these, uh, you, you said something which st still stays in my head because it rhymes. You said, I have a click in my wrist because you were doing something wrongly. So the ergonomics, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I tamped yeah. wrong. Tamp yeah, right, tamping, yeah. But that was just bad training. Tamped wrong for years. I have a click in my wrist. Yeah, but it comes to ergonomics and kind of comfortable work with the machine, right? Yes, absolutely. Cool. Okay, so what other technologies uh, should people who are thinking of starting a cafe uh, acquire or think about that they should have it in their cafe? Um, I think it depends. Like, so I do love the pitcher rinser. I think that has made barista life so much easier. Um, I really like the um, click tamper for training, the tamper that depresses at 30 pounds of pressure. I think that's really great for training. I don't use it in everyday use, but I use it when I'm training baristas. Um, cause you used to like tamp on a bathroom scale, right. To get people to understand that they don't need to kill themselves to, uh, make a tight puck. Gosh, scales with built-in timers for pour over. That was revolutionary. Um, do you that use, helps a lot. Do you use scales on espresso? We use scales on espresso. So getting a waterproof scale okay. is really great or water resistant, right? Um, that's very helpful. Um, and ones that kind of fit on the drip tray. See, again, that's like every espresso machine has its advantages. Some it's like, oh, I hate the drip tray on this guy, right? Which like has nothing to do with how the coffee actually extracts. But yeah, so I think, again, it's like knowing your market. I mean, if I was opening like in a, I don't know, very densely urban area that was full of a lot of tech companies, like I'd probably want to get a one cup gadget to brew coffee, right? And get one of those single cup brewers because then people would be like, oh, what is that? And they're like kind of gearheads anyway and want to get into it, whichever one it is, right? That would help me ultimately sell more interesting coffee cups. But, you know, manual pour over is great as well, especially in places that are more residential and you want to sell more beans for people to take home. And just say, hey, you can do this at home and it's a $30 investment, right? Just get a cone. Uh, I guess get a get a kettle too or maybe a scale. Maybe it's like a $150 investment. But anyway, you can do this at home, right? Comparing uh, the espresso maker is nothing. Yeah, no, don't get I – I don't tell anyone. I tell everyone not to make espresso at home. I think I don't make espresso at home. I think it's a waste. Um, but, yeah, so I think tailor, tailor your technology and your gear to – to where you are make sure it makes sense and don't kill yourself over a fancy machine if you're not going to sell more coffee off of it get a good hot water tower get scales pitcher rinsers great let's move on uh to the menu because you said you yeah. already said some things about the menu mm -hmm. uh i when i was visiting your cafe a few days ago i saw on the menu shakerato or shakerato yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, next time I'm going to definitely try it. And you know, I'm not against sugary drinks. I prefer the coffee black because I'm lactose intolerant. But mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes I do have like milky drinks and I kind of enjoy that. It's, it's like I'm not a, a coffee fascist or whatever we call that. Right. 
And I and I like really like if what you said that you're making your own syrups. That's like mm-hmm. I have goosebumps when when people say something like that because mm-hmm. you basically taking your coffee from uh, as an ingredient and you take another ingredient which you created and making this amazing drink experience. So kudos for that. So but what I wanted to ask is not just you know, praising you, but also like. So what kind of uh, menu should a cafe have? What do you think can be a good uh, example of a good menu? Again, it's all about your market. Market, 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 right? If you want to be disruptive and open a, you know, black coffee only, pour over bar only, like, do it, right? Do it. Go for it. Especially if you're in a dense environment where it's okay if you only capture 15% of the people there, right? Um one thing that's been really important to us and worked really well for us is this idea of accessibility, right? And it's something we really train to and it's something we build our menus to. I want somebody who has only ever experienced Starbucks and whose favorite drink is a frappuccino or a caramel macchiato to be able to come into my cafe and be comfortable ordering and get something they want. Right. So a shakerado is very simple. I mean, it's a few ounces of heavy cream, not very much, a really, really dense raw or dense brown sugar. Right. And espresso. And we just shake it until it's really fluffy and creamy. And you're almost whipping the cream as you're shaking it. Sounds awesome. It's awesome. It's a short drink. It's eight ounces. Um, It's really balanced. It's sweet enough. Um, that you still taste the coffee, but it's really drinkable. And I mean, we sell a ton of these to people who are coming in looking for like a giant blended, very sweet drink. And we sell a lot of them because we're able to say like, you know, we're not like, oh, we don't do frappuccinos. We're like, oh, that's what you're looking for. Try a caramel shakerado. It's awesome. And it's smaller than people want and it's not blended and we don't have whipped cream and there's all these things that like should be wrong with it. But it hits that mark. It's cold. It's creamy. It's frothy. Um, You know, maybe you taste the coffee a little too much for some people's taste. But it's really balanced. So it works. Um, And that's done us really well, like having putting that on the menu. Um, The same with having multiple sizes, which I know came up in the in the questions you solicited from people like we do have multiple sizes of drinks. And that came out of really thinking about what we were going to offer. Like, I think doing one size for latte, different size for cappuccino, different size for brewed coffee can work. But if you're going to have those different cups, um, you better be willing to offer them to customers. Like, you can't have a 16-ounce latte or 16-ounce coffee, in my opinion, and not offer a 16-ounce latte. Because maybe you feel more okay with selling a large coffee than you do with selling a large latte. But if somebody comes in and they're like, can I get a big one? And you say, no, we don't make that. And they say, why? You have the cup right there. It's just such a bad conversation. It's such bad service to be like, oh, but I'm not going to make you that. Uh I see. Right? We never want to tell. We don't want people to feel like they're wrong. Coffee's so personal. People drink coffee every day. They really care about their coffee. And people get so emotional about it because it really does make their day better to get the coffee they want. Like, that's real. It makes their day better. So if somebody comes in asking for a Frappuccino and we give them a Shakerado and they're happy with it, then that's a real win. And I don't care if they ever try a straight espresso. 
that come to us every day for a sweet drink, I'm fine. Cool. Where did you get inspirations for these uh, drinks like Shekerato and uh, other drinks you offer? Oh. <laughs> um, we have a great team. Oh, of we, course. <laughs> we have a great team. I mean, I get really excited about like um, um, really seasonal drinks, building drinks around seasonal coffees um, or other um, items. Like we have a um, cascara soda on our menu. Oh. right now and that was really just because like uh we work with sustainable harvest and they're like we brought in some cascara do you guys want to buy it and we're like yes we want to buy it and we rolled out the soda and it's delicious um and some things like shakerados or we did like a hot chocolate for winter um some of those come from like brooke and helen going out to cafes and trying things that they like or um I don't know, going to a bar and having a cocktail you like. We have like a an Irish-style coffee on our menu as well. We make a brown sugar ginger syrup that's really good with coffee. And I have to add explore a more of your I know, drinks. right? I know. We it's... have fun drinks. Um, I think a lot of it is just like what would we want to drink? I mean, we have a great training team. We have great managers and our coffee team is great. So it's like what what do we like drinking in stores and how can we make it better? Right. Like we um, do house made sodas because we're like, we don't want to offer a bottled soda, but what do we have that's not coffee? OK, what can we do? So we make sodas. Cool. I, I uh, There's a Czech company which makes a cascara soda. I never mm. tried it, but I'm like, hmm, now I can go to your place and try it there. Try it. I think it's so good. I mean, I think cascara can be good. Um, yeah, cascara is a risky stuff. And just though. hot. Yeah, it can be really good. No, um, it, it's kind of risky because uh, I had some good ones, but you can uh -huh. have a horrible ones, you know. So. Right. So, like that—that's one thing. Like this, this lot of cascara we have is not super sweet, so we didn't want to serve it just like as a hot steeped okay. beverage because it didn't quite stand up on its own. Um, so we make a very, very strong, like almost a a syrup with it, mm -hmm. and then we add it to soda water and just a little bit of. Um, simple syrup and it just makes it like balance. It's like an amazing like fruity cream soda type experience. It's really great. And you and you taste those floral notes because we did it very strong and um, and sweetened it just a little bit. Cool. Thanks. I might even go today and try it. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> We're going to back to your team just in a sec, but uh, I wanted to ask also like what other non-coffee products should a cafe sell to, to, to basically make living or potentially even get rich? Yeah, no, that's really important. Check average is everything, right? You need to bring more people in and sell them more things more often, right? So mm -hmm. getting that check average up is key. Have something by the register they can grab that goes with their coffee. And I'm not saying sell like, you know, candy bars or energy bars or something you don't believe in, right? Again, it's those complementary businesses and finding companies that really align with your values, right? We have the, the juice company we work with makes this like vegan protein bar that is just delicious and we sell it and people love it, right? It's something they can grab. It's not a cookie, um, but it's sweet and delicious and they feel good eating it. Um, so I think that type of thing, granola bars, pastry, juices, 
savory snacks um, are very important. And I think it's important to have them grabbable and accessible and to believe in them, right? Don't carry products that you yourself don't want to eat and, um, and keep it accessible. I mean, different things matter in different markets. We sell a ton of gluten-free products at one of our cafes and hardly any at the other. With the other cafe, it's all about like high protein and everyone's going on their long bike rides and they want like, you know, high protein smoothies and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, so see what sells, see what sells, but, but only carry products you yourself would want to eat. I think is what I would say. What can a Hmm. person who's opening a cafe expect financially? Like what's the income from a, let's say a a coffee product and the, uh, non coffee products like food and stuff. Coffee is definitely coffee should be your bread and butter. I mean, when we look at our sales, I mean, it's our top sellers are large coffee, small latte, and cold brew most of the year, mm-hmm. even cold in the winter. Brew. Still cold brew. Wow. Yeah. And like those three are pretty much the same across our cafes. And then it kind of depends between, you know, it'll be cappuccino or small coffee or, you know, the those top three stay pretty much the same. And then in the top 10, we see more variation. Um, but coffee is what gets people in and it's what gets them in every day. Um, so that has got to be good. And then I'd say if you can add on a granola bar to half of those transactions, then you feel really good. Cool. So like find a great baker too. Like we don't bake. We are not bakers. We know that. So we just look for the best baker we can get in our area to get stuff that is fresh every day that really is worth coming in for. And we have a couple people, but it'll probably be like two a day who come in. Oh, they just come in for their chocolate croissant or whatever. But mostly it's like I'm coming in for coffee every day. Some people every day, they also get a croissant. Some people it's half the time. But yeah, so you can't you can't trust that that's going to be your moneymaker. Coffee has to be. And it has to be that routine, but you know you can't you can't make a living on a three dollar transaction average. So get it up, get the add-ons there. Okay, will do. <laughs> it's yeah. you know uh, in Central Europe we have these um, sweet shops. In Hungary it's called uh, Cukrasda or in Slovak Cukrare, and they're also in Austria. I know. And so I think something from the monarchy. When basically you go in and it's you, you know, it's employee rules is something very similar to that. So you go there, and there's a lot of sweets there and you pick that and they have to be very strong on coffee because that's what you do on Saturdays and Sundays yeah. with your kids and family. So that's always kind of very romantic to me and I kind of like that idea. But in the United States, you are a little bit different that way. So that's why I ask, you know, what's the ratio of selling, let's say, uh, food products versus the coffee? Uh, yeah, it's very heavy on the coffee. Okay. Um, but we do, I mean, it's always, I think, challenging to figure out that afternoon or that weekend business. Um, so we do have products specifically for the afternoon or for the weekend. We do put out, you know, slices of cake once the croissants are gone, right? Like that's something that, um, is nice to come in for. And maybe you get it with a cappuccino or maybe you get it with a glass of wine, but you want to have that, right? Cause you do. And that's a small percentage, right? Maybe you sell 10 slices of cake a day versus 150 lattes. Right. But you still want to be that place that people can come in and have a slice of cake, add on a coffee, hang out. Hopefully that's their second visit of the day because they've already come in for their latte. (laughs) 
but you you want that and you want to have that vibe you know you don't want to be empty after 11. true like that all right so now we find a location uh we equip it with technology uh we have a menu Mm-hmm. But somebody has to serve this, right? So how about the baristas? Yeah. If you hire bar- baristas, what are the main criteria for you? How do you hire them? Who are you uh, looking for? I am looking for a good smile. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking for personality. I don't... I would... You You can't train somebody to be friendly. I mean, you can give them tricks on how to handle tense situations and words to use to make people feel comfortable. But a love of service, I don't think you can train. And so that's what I look for. I I don't particularly care about coffee experience. Um, I look for personality on the resume. I look for longevity at jobs. I would much rather have somebody who has been at Starbucks for four years or been in counter food service for four years than somebody who has worked at five of the hippest cafes in the area in the last two years. Wow. Okay. If somebody is changing a job, if somebody has less than a year at a job more often than once on a resume, I am maybe not even going to interview them. Wow. That's well put because Barista job is very has a high turnover, right? So yes. for people who actually can stick to it because it's their like passion or they like what they do, right? Exactly. I uh-huh. I look for longevity, um, and I look for personality, and I love hiring from other from other types of food service, and I love hiring from um, entry level specialty cafes. You like to hire people from other food industries because that's how you get your amazing menu, right? I think that helps. Sure, sure, sure. If they're happy making food. I mean, I think coffee experience is important, but like we have a full-time trainer. She can teach the mechanics of espresso. Mm -hmm. Um, I want somebody who enjoys drinking coffee, even if that coffee is a Frappuccino and they're used to Starbucks. That's fine with me. Yeah. Uh, It's very interesting what you said because all like professionals who are on a high level, they say me the same, that we are looking for a personality. We are looking for somebody who, when he serves or she serves the coffee, they can get the ultimate experience for the uh, for the customer because the skills, the coffee skills can be learned. You, yes. can, you, you can teach them. And uh, Okay, that, that's, a, that's a great tip. And it's just coming again and again. It's, we always get the same tip on this. Absolutely. And I think it's a mistake that baristas make often. You know, and I think it can be very frustrating, especially as you kind of educate yourself maybe out of the job you're in, right? Like I, I've i talked with a lot of baristas who are coming from a more um, entry level, right? Either a mom and pop shop that doesn't focus on quality or a Starbucks or a Pete's. And it's like I started teaching myself latte art and my manager thought I was being too slow, mm-hmm. right? And so, okay, yes, you need to go somewhere else, right? Of course. But then if you get hired at a cool shop and you're like, okay, I'm at the cool shop. And then I, I learned latte art from this cool guy. And then I'm going to go work at this other cool shop and, and learn about espresso extraction from this barista champion. And she trained me. And then I'm going to go to this other shop. Like just don't change jobs that often. I think that is the biggest mistake I see on the resume. 
changing jobs too often, putting pictures of your latte art on your resume, talking about who you trained with. Like if you are really seeking out a job somewhere you think you want to work, right? Like I'm not going to care about who your trainer was at a cafe because I probably know them and I'm going to call them and see how you did, right? You don't need to put their name on your resume and try to like tell me you trained with so-and-so champion from so-and-so year. Like, okay, I know the cafe you were at. I'm just going to call that person. And here we stop for today. I had plenty of fun talking to Deborah and not only because of the old fashioned I was sipping. <laughs> you can listen to Deborah also in the upcoming episode and episode after where she will answer questions you asked at the coffees.me Facebook group. If you want to join our group, go to coffees.me website and click community on the upper menu. This will take you to the Facebook group. Apply and I will approve it. Ah yeah, you want the 50% coupon, right? If you want Devora to be your virtual trainer, go to coffeecourses.com, put in the card the basic barista skills and use coupon code EQUATOR. Again, the coupon code is EQUATOR. And you will get the promised 50% off. The coupon is valid until 1st of April. Have fun. I know I had plenty of fun filming and editing this material. And now, let's talk about the secret company I was putting you in the mood for for a long time. In 2016, we planned to start a new coffee roasting business called Unleashed Coffee. Who is we? My partner in crime is William Murad, who is a San Francisco Bay Area tech guy and owns a coffee farm in Brazil. We met at a 2015 SA conference. He was interested in our online course and when I learned he is from the San Francisco Bay Area, I invited him over for a cup of coffee. William was especially interested in improving quality of his coffee on his farm because his 2014 crop had a strange bitter aftertaste. In 2015, they improved harvesting and drying techniques and it is impressive how these small changes improve the quality of the cup. For this year, we are hoping even for a better cup as more and more investment is done at the farm level. We plan to bring these gems to United States and later to Europe and roast them so they are always fresh. So why this is different than any other coffee roasting company out there? Well, first of all, it is a partnership between a roaster and a farmer. No more fair trade, no more direct trade or whatever. This is a full partnership. Second, we will own or control the quality from farm all the way to the consumer. As a coffee nerd, this part truly fascinates me and I'm so much excited to get into this. For consumer, it also means they can be directly in touch with a complete coffee chain from the cups to the roasting all the way to the farm to one company to one ownership. Third, and this is a good news for you guys, <laughs> this is going to be a very transparent company. We plan to have maybe a session a month on this podcast where we share our successes and frustrations building this business. From naming to creating products, everything. We hope you join us and perhaps even share your wisdom to help us build this company. This is it in nutshell. I'm looking forward to introduce William in one of the future episodes. Until then, cheerios. Bye.